for some reason, the Lord has it on my agenda that the, the last two projects I've been doing have been on marriage. Two books in a row on marriage. How about that? And we're talking about these are Christian books. So this is marriage from a Christian standpoint. So um, a lot of what I'm going to present to you today comes from Sam Nadler. You know Sam. Some of you know him. He's visited this church. Pastor knows him for sure. Anyway, one of the books on marriage is by him, and he's done this really fantastic job. So he inspired me to do this teaching today. Um, You know, um, I see people in this room who are widows. I see people in this room who are divorced. Widows, widowers. Not sure about the widowers, but there may be some in the room. I see people in the room who are married. And I see people in the room who've never been married. Um, I'm going to teach you today about being single. But don't think that if you're not single that this is not for you, because there's a lot for everybody in God's Word, even in a teaching about being single. Now, If we look at single people, some of us might be guilty, and I'll just confess that I am. We might think that they're less than in some way. They can't catch a mate, or they can't keep a mate, or um, we get tongue-tied when we're talking to them because there's a point where you're supposed to be saying, well, do you have a girlfriend yet? You know, and it's uncomfortable. It's not necessarily uncomfortable for them, but it's uncomfortable for you, you know. Ooh. People may feel self-condemnation for being single. They may actually even be sort of uh, come out of favor with their friends. Maybe their friends are starting to get married and they're not, and now the friends are hanging out with married couples and you're sort of hanging out there without them. And Jerry and I are always wanting to play matchmaker because it makes us feel more comfortable if you have a mate. You know, That's our problem, not yours. But, um, you know, if you feel sorry for them, or maybe you're in situations where you actually pressure them, or if you're single, you're experiencing pressure from friends or from family. This is not uncommon. It's not uncommon in the world's wisdom to think of being single as being less than. But does all that negativity reflect God's word on the condition of being single? And we have to say, uh, not at all. We're we're called to look at his point of view, what his word has to say about things, because has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, right? Now, you may think that I'm not qualified to speak about being single because I've been married for 36 years. You're going to say, what do you, you don't even remember. You don't even know. What do you know? Well, as a matter of fact, If we look at the issue of being married, there's two people in the Bible who had quite a lot to say about being married, and they were single. One was Paul, and the other was Jesus. And they felt perfectly comfortable counseling and teaching on marriage. Now, why did they know, why did they feel that way? Because they knew God's heart on the matter. Similarly, any single person can teach on marriage if they know God's heart on the matter. And how do you know God's heart on the matter? You read his word. You steep yourself in his word, and you, as a single person, can counsel married couples. 
And similarly, I'm going to go ahead and teach on singleness because I've studied God's word on the matter. And that's what I'm going to bring you. I'm going to bring you the word from Jesus and from the Apostle Paul on being single. We're going to start with two scriptures. The first one is Matthew 19, 8 through 12. Matthew 19, 8 through 12. We're coming in in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees who are trying to test him and entrap him with their questions about divorce. So he's actually responding to a question about divorce, but in the meantime, he says something about being single that's going to be very important for this study. So Matthew 19, 8 through 12 says, He, Jesus, said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, you see, the disciples are hearing this and they're thinking, wait, that's really different from what the rabbis are teaching and what the Pharisees are teaching. If you're going to have that kind of strict rules about marriage, they say, if the relationship of the man and his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. And here's how Jesus responds. He says, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. He goes on to speak about eunuchs. He says, for there are eunuchs. Now, a eunuch, is there anybody in the room who does not know what a eunuch is? Okay, a eunuch is a person who has, a man, who has suffered the castration of his Reproductive organs. Okay. A eunuch. There are eunuchs, Jesus said, who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. And we're going to come back and look at those three kinds of eunuchs a little later on when we look into what Jesus is saying here. The second scripture that we're going to today is 1 Corinthians 7, which is a whole chapter on all things having to do with marriage and singleness from the Apostle Paul. And I picked out certain verses so it's not continuous. I didn't want to, you know, burden you with a lot of scriptures that are not where we're going today, so we're kind of skipping around in 1 Corinthians 7, starting with verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now when he says touch, he doesn't mean hold your hand. He means engage in sexual relations. He says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, that means Because sometimes people can't control their lusts and passions, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. In other words, he's not commanding you to have your own wife or husband. He's saying, well, if you have no control over your lusts, go ahead and get married. Skipping down, we're at 6, 7, 8, and 9. Yet I wish... He says that all men were even as I myself am. And he was unmarried 
We don't know if he was divorced. We know that he was not married. He's saying, I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, he says, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. See, he obviously considers it a gift that he's not married. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, this is again about the passions and lusts of the body, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. In other words, he's going to counsel it now based on his knowledge of Jesus' teachings. I think oh, then that this is good. Yeah, we're down to 25. I'm sorry, I'm not keeping you in the loop here. We're now down to 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command, but I give an opinion. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, if he's married, remain married. If he's a slave, remain a slave. If he's unmarried, remain unmarried. Remain as he is when he becomes a Christian. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet, such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free of concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate, that is, not to have sex out of marriage, and to secure, and here comes my title of my message today, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. Undistracted Devotion to the Lord is our title today. And finally, verses 39 and 40. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord, meaning, meaning if you're going to get married again, marry a Christian. But, Paul goes on, in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. In other words, I have some authority to speak on these things, he says. Those are our two scriptures. We're going to come back to them and come to a clearer understanding of what is in store for the single person. Point one, singleness is a gift. 
Going back to what Jesus said, he says that it's better not to marry, but not everybody can accept this statement, only those to whom it has been given. Given is this word didomi in Greek. It means bestowed or granted, like something given that's special. Singleness is divinely intended for some people. It is a gift from above. And those who can accept the calling of the single life have been granted that life as a gift from God. Paul similarly says it's a gift. He says, I wish all men were like me, but each has his own gift, meaning what he has as a single man is a gift. It's a different word for gift. It's charisma, where we hear charisma. It means a freely given gift of grace. A freely given gift of grace. So two different Greek words that mean gift. So if you're the one who's single and you're feeling less than, or if you're the one that's pressuring the single person, how come you can't get a husband? You need to know that singleness is not a curse or an inferior condition. Jesus speaks of it as if it were something very rare and special that only a few can accept. And Paul speaks of it as a free gift of grace that is preferable to being married. So, you single people, have you thanked God for the gift of singleness? Have you allowed that God has a ministry for you in your singleness? Or are you the ungrateful child at Christmas who didn't get what they wanted and wanted a different gift, even though the gift they got was fantastic, but they're ungrateful because they wanted this over here instead? Which one are you? Let's go back to Jesus, what Jesus said about eunuchs and see what we can learn from that. He talked about three different kinds of eunuchs. Eunuchs that are born that way, that's like a congenital defect. They're just born that way. They have no control over that. The second kind of eunuch he talked about were eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. That means somebody castrated them. So in the ancient Near East, if there were slaves that were part of a, a, a royal kingdom, those trusted slaves that had proved themselves good servants might be castrated in order to make them more... Uh, able to be trusted around, for example, the king's harem, which is exactly what happens in the book of Esther, where she's uh, being guard, the, the care of all the, girl, the young girls who are being considered to be Xerxes' new queen. They're all under the care of a eunuch because he doesn't have a sexual drive. So he's not, he can be trusted. Um, this kind of eunuch, like the first kind of eunuch, has no control over what happened to them. They were made eunuchs. Now, the third kind of eunuch that Jesus speaks of is different from the first two in that this eunuch becomes a eunuch voluntarily. This one says, I want to become a eunuch. These are the eunuchs, Jesus says, who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's not to be taken literally. We're not talking about people who've mutilated their bodies. That's not what he's talking about. He's making a figurative statement. He's talking about a person who has chosen a life of celibacy, not just for any reason. 
he makes it very clear. It's for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let them accept it. Now, we know about lots of gifts from God. In fact, this is a timely message in terms of pastor's teachings because last week we were learning about the gifts uh, that are reported by Paul in the, in the book of the fourth chapter of Ephesians, which we're studying right now. You may remember he was teaching last week. And he, he taught us that these, these pastors, these evangelists, these prophets, these uh, apostles, they are gifts from God as well. They're gifts. And elsewhere we read about the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of healing, the gift of faith, the gift of tongues, and so on. You've heard of these gifts. When we look at the gifts that God gives, he gives them for a very specific purpose. And I'm going to read, going back to Ephesians 4, 12, and 16. Ephesians 4, 11, 12, and 16. And he gave, God gave, that's Didomi again. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets. On to verse 12, for the equipping. This is the reason that he gave these gifts. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And down to 16, remember he's describing everybody with their different gifts as being like a body. You know, there's hands and feet and eye and ear of a body that all work together. So he's saying the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies, like everybody brings a piece to the table, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself, the building up of the body of Christ, that's the believers, in love. So just as with all the other gifts, the gift of singleness and celibacy is not for you to do whatever you want with it. It is for the work of service, the furtherance of God's work to build up the body of Christ in love. That is the purpose of God's gifts, to build up the body. Romans 12.6 says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. We all have different gifts. So some people are going to get the gift of singleness and they're going to accept it. Some people are going to be given the gift of singleness and they're not going to accept it. They're going to complain and do everything they can to get out of it. And maybe they'll even prematurely, you know, act and marry somebody wrong, 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 wrong. If you just waited. You know, God had something good for you, but no, you just moved ahead and married a non-believer or whatever. Whatever. So we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Point two. You're going to love this one. Point two is marriage is trouble. Now, I didn't make that up. Did you hear Paul say that when I was reading you from 1 Corinthians 7? Did you hear him say that? He said, but if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet, such will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. Like it's that bad that he really wants to spare you that trouble. It's that bad. Okay, so first of all, let's define Paul's three terms that he uses. He talks about the virgin, he talks about the unmarried, and he talks about widows. Widows 
is obvious, and I think it includes widowers. Do we have any widowers in the house? Widowers, not widows. Widowers, that's men who have lost their... Not in the house. Okay, well, Mr. Willis is a widow. A widower. Okay, we do have widows in the house. I know that for sure. A virgin, he's referring to those who have never been married. And back in the day, I know it might sound funny now, but back in the day, it was assumed that if you never were married, you were a virgin. Times have changed, eh? Unmarried refers to people who used to be married and they're not now. So that's divorce people, divorced people. Okay, let's look at this word trouble. We're, we're learning Greek today. The word is, it's, they've got a T-H next to an L, flipsis, flipsis, trouble. It means afflictions. It means tribulations. It means distress. It means anguish. That's the word he's saying. I'm trying to spare you this tribulation. Anybody in this room ever say, I'm going through some trials and tribulations? Anybody ever say that? I've heard you say it. I've heard you say, I'm going through some trials and tribulations. I've heard it. He's saying, I'm trying to spare you. This is tribulation. Marriage is tribulation. He also talks about concern, which is another Greek word, merimna, care, anxiety, worry. And here's what he says about it in verses 32 through 34. But I want you to be free from concern. That's that anxiety, the worry, the care. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin, remember the unmarried is the divorced person, the virgin is the one who's never had sex, hello, never been married, is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. See, she's concerned about being holy in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So I've come up with a few little illustrations. I hope, I hope this doesn't fall flat. You really need to let me drive. How come I never get to hold the remote? You bought what? And it cost how much? How late did you stay up on social media last night? Why do you give the kids candy and then leave them for me to handle? Do we have to spend Christmas with your folks again this year? You mean you didn't fill the tank when you borrowed my car and now we're out of gas? Why can't I watch the game with my buddies? Why do I always have to clean the toilet? You don't make cornbread like my mother used to make it. How could you forget our anniversary? Does any of that sound fun? Does that sound fun? Being married is complicated. Being married is so complicated. Paul prefers, he really urges you, that your concerns should be about the things of the Lord instead of the marriage issues like we just went through. He thinks the widower, widow and the widower is happier if she remains 
as she is. Don't marry again. He says, this is for your own benefit. Not to put a restraint on you. This isn't because I'm a, a killjoy, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. The single person, in Paul's understanding, is able to experience undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now, is your single life, you single people, an excuse to do as you please? I'm talking to the older singles, not just the younger singles, too. Or do you use your freedom from the tribulation of marriage to singularly and undistractedly devote yourself to the Lord? That means, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means spending time in your word. It means spending time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It means encouraging those who need encouragement, counseling those, because you know that word so well that you are a source of wisdom for them. You're able to counsel and teach and be an encouragement to the people around you. You pray. You spend time in service. Remember what uh, the gifts are for, loving service, for the equipping of the saints and for building up the body of Christ. That's the purpose of the gift of singleness. Okay, we're on to my last point. Just in time. Point three. The world is passing. The world is passing, passing away. The world is passing away. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 7. We read this already, but we'll go back to it, 29 through 31. 29 through 31 says, But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. Now, what in the world is he talking about? So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. So there's this urgency to Paul's appeal when he's talking about marriage and singleness. What does he mean by that time has been shortened? Well, let's hear him talk about it in another way. From I'll read from Romans 13. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The time is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. Not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. In other words, wake up. The Lord is going to return soon. Be ready. Pastor Fred, be ready. Stay ready. Get ready. Stay ready. What did he say? Don't be caught getting ready. Stay ready. Be ready. My, uh, one of... Yeah, be there. Right. One of my favorite commentators, uh, JFP, JFB, we ought to consider nothing as our own 
in real or permanent possession. I'm going to say that again. We ought to consider nothing as our own in real or permanent possession. Even if it's your spouse. Because he says, uh, the time has been shortened. Those who have wives should be as though they have none. And whatever you're crying about, those who weep, don't bother weeping. Don't be so attached to whatever's making you crying or even what's making you rejoice. And those who buy stuff, it's not about your stuff. And it's not about your possessions. Now, here are some people that Luke talks about. And Luke tells us that these people were really not ready. They were not ready. And here's what he says. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Oh, where else have we seen it? It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating. They were drinking. They were buying. They were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire. Okay, fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Paul is urging all of us, whether you're single or married, to shift your perspective from passing concerns of this world to things of eternal consequence. Get ready, stay ready for the return of the Lord by your pursuit of holiness in body and spirit, Paul said. Pursue holiness of body and spirit. And think about that, how Jesus says that the fields are white for harvest and the workers are few. We should be spending our time Teaching the gospel, speaking the gospel, urging our friends to hear, to give an ear to the word of God that they might be saved. And this, of course, renders the whole question of whether you're married or not as unimportant. In fact, marriage is a concern of this world that's not going to follow us. We're not taking our marriage with us into the resurrection. And Matthew uh, 2230 says, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So even, marriage is a concern of the world. It's going to be over once the Lord returns. That's the end of that. So if you are single or if you're married, you're called to give yourself to God wholeheartedly and loosen your grip. Really loosen your hold on the things of this world. Keep your eye on eternal matters. And be ready for the Lord's soon return. John says the world is passing away. And also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, he says, it is the last hour. Now what's really amazing here and coming back to singleness is that Paul holds up the single person as the model for readiness when he says those who have wives should be as though they had none. The single person is the model for readiness for the Lord's return. So consider that, you single people.
So even the married person is to live as though he or she were still single. I shouldn't say still single. As though he or she were single. Because the single person is the one who has what? Undistracted devotion to the Lord. And is therefore an example of readiness. Paul speaks to Timothy about widows in general. He says, the widow has fixed her hope on God. What does she do? She continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself, Paul continues, she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. So I encourage you single people to treasure the gift that you have been given. It may not be a gift that lasts for your whole life. Maybe it's just for a season. It may be that God has somebody for you down the road. But for now... Accept it. Receive the gift. Think of the ministry involved in it. Use it to build up the body of Christ through loving service. Now, I'm going to say something that might be difficult for some people to hear. It's kind of the unspoken, uh, maybe elephant in the living room for somebody in this room. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm just going to say it. If you're a single person and you call yourself a Christian and you're not practicing Celibacy. Then consider that God's purpose for you is not to be ungodly, but to be godly. He wants you to be holy, both in body and in spirit. That is his desire for you. And be assured, anyone who needs to hear this message, that if you come to God with a contrite heart of repentance and you turn and repent and face the other way and go the other way, and you confess your sins to God, and you ask his forgiveness, and you have a determination to do different from now on, you can experience forgiveness. It's like starting over. It's like a brand new start. Just like when you were reborn in Christ, born again. You can be almost like a virgin again. And that's all I'll say about that. Now, I'm going to end by reading a series of scriptures that will help prepare us for that readiness. Help us to be like the single person who has undistracted devotion to the Lord because they're so focused on God and they're so ready for the Lord's soon return. So I picked a few. There's quite a few in the Bible, but I just picked some. And you'll notice that the ones that I picked... Don't just talk about the good, the good news. There's also bad news. You know the gospel? That means good news. It's only good news if you accept it. It's really bad news if you don't accept it. So I included a little bit of the bad news in case there's anybody in this room who needs a spanking. Mark. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. That's Mark 13.33. Mark 13.33. Daniel. Daniel had a vision. This is long before Jesus lived. But he had a vision. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up 
to the Ancient of Days, that's Father God, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Let's hear from Malachi. Malachi 4, verses 1 and 2. Malachi 4, 1 and 2. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Have you seen cows running in the little calves running? I mean, that is the sweetest sight. For you who fear my name, the sun, and this is actually S-U-N, not the S-O-N, sun. This is the S-U-N, sun of righteousness, will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Now let's hear from the Apostle Paul again in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And finally, from Job. Job 19. I'm going to read verses 25 through 29. Job 19, 25 through 29. And you know this line. You, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, that means at the end, on the day... At the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. Did you hear how many times he said he was going to see God? I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how shall we persecute him? And what pretext for a case against him can we find? Then be afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword so that you may know there is judgment. Should I pray or you want to pray? Bow your heads, please. Father God, I just thank you for this teaching because for me personally, it brought such a renewed respect and awe of the 
gift of singleness. I hope it has been the case for others today to recognize that God has a purpose and a plan for single people. He has an expectation for how they should behave, for where their attention should be. You talk about undistracted devotion to the Lord. We thank you that there are some who have that opportunity and have that precious gift. Lord, let it be that if there are those who have that gift but haven't accepted it, let them accept it today. Lord, if there are those in the room who are behaving in an ungodly way in their singleness and not practicing celibacy, Lord, pierce their hearts with contrition that they might repent and start new. They can always start new. You give us that chance. You give us second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Seventy times seven chances you give us and more. And for those of us who are married, let it be that we don't live with a grip, tight, fast grip on the things of this world, including our marriages and our husbands and wives and the things and issues and concerns of marriage, oh Lord, but that we actually, I mean, lift your hand in the air and just loosen, loosen your hand, open your hand, loosen the grip. We don't want a strong hold on the concerns of this world, Lord. Let it be that our concerns are with you. What is, what is important to you? Let it be that our understanding of the word just increases every day as we immerse ourselves in your holy scriptures that we understand more and more every day. Thank you, Jesus.